0: Having these things spoken of this morning as we've been looking last week and again this week at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that more than likely he wasn't born in December. But the important thing is that we acknowledge that he was born and that his birth is the single most important event in human history. Everything hinges upon the coming of Christ he is the only hope for mankind. Last week we looked at the amazing story of how Gabriel came to announce to Mary that she was to bear the child of God. Can you imagine? I mean, we kind of maybe take it lightly or just look at it on the surface, but just to think about the magnitude of the announcement that Gabriel made to Mary. I can't even, I don't know about you guys, I really can't fathom the impact that would have on a young girl anyone for that matter but particularly a young girl two thousand years ago in Israel having an angel appear to you and tell you that God is going to implant his son within you it's just like I mean in this day and age of technology from a technological standpoint you might be able to imagine that but two thousand years ago and again uh, there are babies being planted today and it's interesting what a dichotomy we have in our world, right? We have people who are so desperate to be able to have children, to, to have a family and looking to adopt children because they can't have children or using the various medical means today that are available, you know, in vitro fertilization and all the different things and, that they're doing. But then you've got this Opposing force while one side is seeking to create life, to bring life, new life into the world, which is a God-given desire, right? What did God tell Adam and Eve in the beginning? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, fill the earth. And God's intention was that Adam and Eve would bring forth offspring who would ultimately fill the earth with human beings who would worship him, right? And at the same time, the forces of darkness doing everything they can to destroy life. And I've told you time and time again, it's so simple, it's so easy, it's so basic. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. God is pro-life and Satan is pro-death. It's that simple. It's just that simple. So we're going to continue on with the story. We're in the month of December. We are in that mode of celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. And now that Mary has received her announcement from Gabriel, which we saw last week, how amazingly she didn't question, she knew God was perfectly capable of doing what He said He was going to do, she just was curious as to how that would come about and Gabriel explains it to her, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, overshadow you, fill you. And so now we find today that she's going to visit her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, traveling from the north, Galilee region, Nazareth, down to the hill country of Judea. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. We ask that you speak to to our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit through the power of your word. Lord, give us greater and deeper understanding of this amazing, miraculous event that took place 2,000 years ago which has transformed the world and transformed millions of lives of men and women and boys and girls and given us a hope that we previously did not have. We thank you, we praise you, ask you to bless this time of study in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick it up in Luke chapter 1 verse 39, just after where we left off last week. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. So this is in those days after the time that Gabriel had visited Mary, announced her impending pregnancy, and also Gabriel told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was with child. And if you recall, that was amazing because Elizabeth had been barren throughout her entire life child-bearing years, had never been able to bear children, much like Sarah in the Old Testament, and yet here she is with child. So she goes into the hill country with haste. And it would seem that Mary was anxious to share in Elizabeth's joy and also to share with Elizabeth the incredible news that she had just received. So she felt a camaraderie. There was a connection there. One was young, one was old. And yet they both had experienced a similar miraculous event. Mary's event being even more miraculous, obviously, because she did not have known any man at that point, even though she was espoused or engaged to Joseph. But Elizabeth, more than anyone else, would be able to understand what was happening to Mary. And you can imagine Mary was probably also anxious to get a little break from Nazareth because she would have to be explaining to everyone how she was pregnant without having consummated her marriage. So to a city of Judah, or in the hill country of Judah, this is quite a journey. And at this time in Israel there were, there were highwaymen or bandits on the road. Uh, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? How he was assaulted? So that was not uncommon. And there were wild animals roaming around. So for young Mary this was a brave journey to embark upon, but There's a good possibility that she was able to join up with a caravan. It was very common, people traveling in groups. You know, there's safety in numbers, so to speak. But traveling southward to the hill country of Judah, and perhaps she was part of a caravan. It was hard to imagine her family would allow her to travel all the way by herself. Nonetheless, it was a bold move to make. And I think it gives us insight into the faith and confidence that she had in God. This journey would have taken about three to five days depending on the exact location of Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. And so verse 40, she enters the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Probably, you know, shalom, peace, grace and peace be unto you. She greets Elizabeth and it happened, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. I love this part. Again, ties right in with our theme today that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that is definitely left out of the, the narrative, the discussion, uh, is the fact that bearing children, the bringing forth of new life, that miraculous mystery of how God has created us with the ability to do that, is not purely physical and biological, it is spiritual. We're told in the Bible, we're created in the image of God. The Bible tells us God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, every human being, when they're created in the womb, there is a spiritual element, a spiritual aspect. It is the spiritual part of who we are that will go on for eternity, either in eternal life in Christ or eternal death apart from Christ. You don't hear anybody on the left, anybody on the pro-abortion side ever discuss the spiritual aspect, but the fact of the matter is it is very spiritual. And we see that reaction here with Elizabeth and Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. The angel had predicted to Zechariah that his baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. And so here's John in the womb already practicing for his future ministry. Leaping in the womb. Luke 1.17, he will also go before him. Gabriel to Zechariah. He, John the Baptist, will also go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And notice this interaction going on with Mary and Elizabeth and the baby in the womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was more than an emotional meeting between two pregnant women who were related. It was truly a spiritual moment and God was present with them. Verse 42, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, this is Elizabeth speaking. Blessed are you among women, she says to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Keep in mind, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she's about to utter a prophetic word. Blessed are you among women. Of course, we know that that's part of a common Catholic refrain. But we find in Luke one twenty-eight, having come in, the angel Gabriel said to her, Mary... Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the child you will bear. One translation reads, Now, Gabriel had told Mary about Elizabeth being with child, but he had not told Elizabeth about Mary. How did Elizabeth know? The Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she utters forth this prophetic word before Mary had even told her. Verse 43. Again Elizabeth speaking. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So we see a similar characteristic here between the young Mary and the old Elizabeth. Both incredibly devout Pious, humble, women of God. So even though culturally Mary would be far subservient to Elizabeth because of her age, Elizabeth says, Why is it granted to me to have the mother of my Lord? So not only does Elizabeth understand in the spirit that Mary is with child, she recognizes, she says, My Lord... My master, that's what Lord means, master. My master, my Messiah. Not only did Elizabeth know that Mary was going to have a baby, she knew that Mary's baby was to be the Son of God. Receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit. She says, indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And folks, this is just one more reason why the issue of whether or not unborn babies are more than fetal material should be settled once and for all. Let's go to Isaiah 49.1 from the Revised Standard Version. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, He named me. Now how could God know you in the womb unless you're already a real person? Right? Luke 1.44 also tells us that the unborn children are affected by the activities, voices, and sounds around them. We see this reaction from the baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby in me le- leapt for joy, leaped for joy. So information, and even people who are not believers will acknowledge this, particularly those within the medical scientific community, information, positive or negative, is already being programmed into our children before they're even born. If a a woman who's carrying a child is uh, dealing with a lot of anxiety, stress, and so forth during her pregnancy, that can definitely have an impact upon the child. You know, some people will play music to their kids. Classical music, peaceful music. Maybe some people play hard rock. That may not be a good idea. Maybe that's how Ozzy Osbourne became Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know. (laughs) But all these things are indicators that we're not just dealing with a piece of fetal matter here, a lump, a bump. We're dealing with a real human being, even before we're brought out into the open, so to speak. Psalms 8.2 Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength or praise, because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. We know that during Jesus' earthly ministry he gave special attention. Again, Jesus came and he turned the world right side up, if you will. It was already upside down. In the pre-Jesus world, women were treated like property. If only these feminists understood, the one who can really liberate them is Jesus Christ. Jesus gave recognition and place to women that had never been given before. Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene, and on and on it goes the women that were associated with him during his earthly ministry. He did the same thing with children. Remember when the little ones were coming, the parents were bringing their kids. So that's one of the reasons we do baby dedications, children dedications, not baptisms, until they're old enough to receive Christ and realize what they're doing. Then we'll baptize them, but we will dedicate them, just like Samuel's mother Hannah dedicated him, just like Jesus laid his hands on the little ones and prayed for them. The disciples said, get the little brats out of here. Jesus is busy. And Jesus rebuked his disciples. He said, suffer the little ones to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God, right? He said, you must become like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because children have a very simple, straightforward faith. You tell them something and they believe it. That can be good or that can be bad. That can be scary. In fact, we're living now with several generations of young people who have been brainwashed by our secular public school system because they've been fed a pack of lies for their entire educational careers. But they have that straightforward, simple faith. You tell them the truth and they believe it. That's why we have to get to them while they're young. I received Christ as a preschooler because I was taken to church and taught in Sunday school and I heard the truth of the word of God before the world and the devil had a chance to pollute and corrupt my mind. That's what we need to be doing for our kids today. But today's young people don't put a high priority on bringing their kids to church. I've already told you the statistic. 56% of young adults who identify as believers don't go to church. Why do we need to go to church? I don't have to go to church to be saved. No, you don't. All you have to do is receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be born again by the Spirit of God. Confess your sins and repent. But if you want yourselves and your children to grow up to be followers of Christ, they need Christian education and this is where you get it. That's also why we have a Christian academy here. Again, it's, it's not about, it, it is about reading and writing and arithmetic on that basic level. But it's more than that. It's spiritual. I keep telling you. We've talked about this over and over again. Oh, Pastor Gary talks too much about politics. It's not politics. It's spiritual. Abortion's not political. It's spiritual. All right? Same-sex marriage is not political. It's spiritual. Education is spiritual. Do you know that in the founding days of our nation, it was all integrated? The education... In fact, the Bible was the main textbook. And even the other books that were used alongside the Bible contained Scripture. Because our founders knew that education was spiritual. Not just mental, emotional, but spiritual. Everything is spiritual, folks. The devil just doesn't want you to know it. He wants you to operate on a very low terrestrial plane. that's why so many people don't understand the scriptures and the word of God because Jesus was always speaking on the spiritual level. He used earthly stories, parables, with a heavenly meaning to elevate people's understanding of the spiritual and the supernatural. But we're always trying to bring it back down to our level instead of letting him raise us up to his level. The Bible says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, when you, somebody says, uh, I say, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm not too bad under the circumstances. I'll say, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> because in Christ, we're seated in heavenly places. We're above the circumstances unless we choose not to be. You see? All right. That was all extra and for free. <laughs> Matthew twenty-one, fifteen, and 16. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things, and by the way, Jesus also said, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than to stumble one of these little ones of mine. So there's going to be accountability. Big time. Big time. Matthew 21:15. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, And the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? So Jesus, he turned the world right side up. He elevated the station and the standing of women. Paul wrote, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, all are one in Christ. And we talked about this last week where I said the old expression, children should be seen and not heard. But you know what? If those children are praising God, they need to be heard, and they need to be heard loud and clear. It's heartbreaking to hear children and young people today swearing and cursing. I don't remember that when I was a kid. Things have changed. Where did they learn it? From the adults around them. God created them to praise Him. We need to teach them to praise Him. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older he'll not depart from it. Sometimes we have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, don't we? But I love it. I think it's in the NIV where it says that after all that the prodigal son had been through And he winds up uh, eating and sleeping with the pigs, remember? But then the Bible says he came to his senses. So I have a prodigal in my family, and what I pray for that person is, God, please bring them to their senses, just like you brought the prodigal son to his senses. Bring them back to their right mind. Bring them to that place where they remember once again that they really do believe in you, Lord. Pray for that. Verse 45 Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessings come to those folks who believe God and trust in His promises. Mary's faith I remember J. Vernon McGee used to talk about putting uh, feet on our faith. Mary had faith had feet. She hurriedly traveled to a hundred miles or so to tell Elizabeth what God had done for her. How many of us would travel a hundred miles on foot to give your testimony? That's what she did. Or 500 miles in a car. Or 5,000 miles on an airplane. Mary's faith had feet. And then now, as a result, this next section, which we'll try to get through this morning, hopefully, is what is called the Magnificat. It comes from the first word of the Latin translation, magnify. The first of four hymns that are recorded here in Luke 1 and 2. And there are 15 recognizable quotations from the Old Testament in this poem, if you will, this Magnificat, this proclamation by Mary of her praise to God for what He's done for her. And it shows us how much this young girl, the mother of Jesus, knew and loved the scriptures. Fifteen recognizable quotations she recites during this praise that she offers up to God. And so she begins, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's a reminder, folks, that God is not glorified through our flesh Although in 1 Corinthians 6 it says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. So the things that we do with the physical bodies can either honor or dishonor Him, but it goes deeper than that. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord through our soul, through our spirit, the very essence of who we are. If it had been through the flesh that He would be honored, then Jesus' mother would have been a queen and he would have been born in a palace, not in a stable. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary acknowledges God as her Savior like Father Abraham. Salvation by grace through faith is not just a New Testament concept. Romans 4.3, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. He, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The truth of the matter is that salvation has always been by grace through faith even under the old covenant. Verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for behold henceforth all generations will call me blessed. The lowly state of his maidservant. a poor teenage girl We talked about the fact that Nazareth was just a small, unknown town, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. The people from that hill country of Galilee were considered like hillbillies. When they went south with Jesus to Jerusalem, they were mocked for their accent. A society that gave no credence to children or to women and no respect to the poor, she was the lowliest of the low. Makes sense that God would choose her, doesn't it? Paul talks about the fact that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. Psalms 18.27, You will save the humble people, but will, will bring down haughty looks. Psalms 147.6, The Lord lives up, lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Now maybe that doesn't happen when we'd like it to. We'd like to see the haughty brought down right away, wouldn't we? We'd like to see the wicked brought down to the ground. But it's all according to God's plan, God's purpose, God's timing. And knowing the fate that awaits those people, rather than hoping they get brought down sooner rather than later, we should be praying for their salvation and their conversion. Because we wouldn't want to go where they're going to go, would we? That's one of the reasons we came to Christ. I mean we love Him because He first loved us but let's be honest I was highly motivated by not wanting to go to hell. How about you? And there's nothing wrong with that because God did not create hell for human beings. He created it for the devil and His angels but unfortunately those who reject Christ will be there as well. Psalms 149.4 For the Lord takes pleasure in His people He will beautify the humble with salvation. Wow, wish more people could understand that because people are consumed with physical beauty today, aren't they? And you see more and more of these older people and you go, wait a minute, they look the same way they did 20 years ago. What's going on here? It's called one of the above, plastic surgery or airbrush. Photoshop. Right? But if only human beings could understand that it's salvation that makes one beautiful. How many times have you been in some public place and you meet someone and they just kind of glow? Just this warm glow, this beauty, this peace it has nothing to do with their physical features. This happened to us recently when I took uh, some other folks that were here for ministry out to eat and the lady was just so bubbling over with the joy of the Lord and so forth and she hadn't said anything about God but towards the end of the meal I said, are you a a believer? Are you a Christian? She said, yes I am. And I said, I could tell. It was written all over you. That's that beauty of salvation right there. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 3 too with regard to Sarah and Abraham. Henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Mary recognized that the child that she was bearing, the child growing inside of her, rather than being an extinction level event, it would be an anti-extinction level event. It would prevent the extinction and termination of the human race. Every generation from then on would be impacted by the life, death, and resurrection of her son. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He who is mighty, God, the all-powerful one, who protects and fights for his children. Luke 1, the Mighty One in the NIV, The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Zephaniah 3.17. I love this verse. We used to sing this as a chorus. Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, back in the old days. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Well, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? We sing to him, but he sings over us. He will rejoice over you with gladness. The Mighty One. Holy is His name. God is unique and set apart from all other beings in that He alone is holy. Revelation 15, 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. He graciously, lovingly, imparts to us His holiness. We can only be holy because He, the Holy One, lives inside of us. I commented on this many years ago in one of my messages. I said, none of us are holy. There is none righteous, no, not one. Only God is holy. And I got kind of rebuked by an older lady in the church. I said, we're all holy. I think it was more about semantics than anything else. But it says right here, you alone are holy. Only God is holy. Only God is perfect. Holy is His name. Hallowed be thy name. Psalm 99.3, let them praise your great, awesome name. Tag, He is holy. Again, we are only holy in as much as we become participants in His holiness. Verse 50, His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. This is all part of Mary's praise, her magnificat. His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. It's that Old Testament concept, the Hebrew word said, we talked about recently. God's loyal, gracious, faithful love. His mercy, not getting what we deserve, is on those who fear Him. So God's mercy, we talked about this last week with the guardian angels. Hebrews chapter 1, the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to watch over those who are the heirs of salvation. So if God foreknew before the foundations of the world that you would be one of those who would accept him, who would choose him, who would receive him, then he dispatched guardian angels to protect you because the devil would love to take you out before you have the chance to get saved. That's why so many of us experienced multiple near-death experiences before coming to Christ. The devil was trying to take you out before you could fulfill your destiny in Christ. But then I also put forth the uh, prospect that if God also knew, and he did, Is there anything God doesn't know? No. He knew before the foundations of the world those who would reject Him, who would never accept Him, who would never receive Him, not because He didn't want them to. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But since He knows all things, He knows that some will not. And so my uh, proposal was that He probably would not dispatch a guardian angel to someone that He knows is never going to accept Him. Why waste your resources, right? And yet there have been many times down through history where someone who is not one of God's chosen and by the way I've told you this many times Pastor Chuck said how do you find out if you're chosen? Choose Christ and find out. You'll find out you are. It gets to be a bit of a sticky wicket for our finite human brains does it not? (laughs) where God's sovereignty meets the free will of man, where they intersect, because that's one of the things that makes us, like God, created in His image, He gave us a free will, to choose or not to choose. My point being this, let me read it again, Psalm 103, 17, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Again, you have the two-sided coin. On one side you have grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Just like Mary received. Oh, highly favored one. God's grace is His unmerited favor. He shines His grace and His favor upon you. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. On one side of the coin is grace. God's unearned, or unmerited favor. On the other side is mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Get it? Okay. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Respect Him. Honor Him. Give Him the proper place in your life. And the result of that is mercy and his righteousness to children's children. No doubt Mary had this psalm in mind when she says his mercy is on those who fear him. Psalm 103, 17, no doubt was in her heart and mind. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Mary proclaims the greatness of God, not just for her in her circumstances, but for all who have gone before her. She sees the bigger picture. He has shown his strength with his army, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Mary sees the big picture. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Proverbs 3.34 Surely he scorns the scornful but gives grace to the humble. Remember what Gabriel said to her in verse 28. Grace to you who are highly graced. The NIV, it says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Psalms 107, verse 9, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Again, we would tend to think of that on a very earthly level, but there's that spiritual implication, he satisfies the thirsty. What did he tell the woman at the well? I will give you water to drink and you'll never thirst again. He's talking about the living water. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You can go to your favorite buffet and pork out till you're, you can't hardly walk. But if you're not spiritually satisfied, you will still be hungry. Mary here sounds like the mother of the one who would one day say, Matthew 5, 6, Jesus, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Verse 54, He has helped. His servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. Only a woman, only a girl of faith could make this statement at a time. As I've told you before, Israel was largely backslidden when Christ came on the scene. They were not in a a high state of spiritual fervor, they were more politically motivated, wanting to drive out the Romans recapture their own sovereignty. He has helped his servant Israel. Only a woman or a girl of faith could make this statement at a time when Israel was largely backslidden and under Roman rule. Again, Mary sees the bigger picture. Amazingly, we should never underestimate the ability of young people to grasp spiritual truth. The disciples, for the most part, were younger men even teenagers, when they became followers of Christ. The last, I believe, the last true revival we've experienced in our nation, the Jesus movement of the 70s, was spearheaded by young people. We needed the vitality, the energy, the motivation of the youth, coupled with the wisdom of the older. Mary saw the bigger picture. She wasn't focused on herself but on God's blessing. Isn't it interesting, one of the most common words in our world today is selfie. Let's take a selfie. I'm going to do a selfie. (laughs) When everything about being a follower of Christ is just the opposite of selfie, but you don't ever hear anybody say, let's take an othery. (laughs) Let's take an othery, shall we? Verse 55, Mary saw herself as an instrument of blessing in the hands of the Almighty God. How awesome is that? She wasn't focused on herself, but on God's blessings and promises, not just to herself, but to his entire family, the family of God. Would that we could all see ourselves the way Mary saw herself. An instrument of blessing in the hands of Almighty God. It's a struggle, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in our own stuff. But how much better our lives would be if we had that perspective that Mary had. An instrument of blessing in the hands of Almighty God. So verse 55. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, or in the NIV, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors... Mary knew God as the keeper of the promise, the one true promise keeper, you might say, as he spoke to or promised our fathers, our ancestors, to Abraham and his seed forever. Not only did Mary praise God for what he had done in the past and what he was now doing through her and through Elizabeth, she praised God for what he was going to do in the future. Notice the word, to his seed, forever, forever. When we have our men's prayer on Tuesday nights, which I invite you men to come, you're missing out if you're not coming. It's a great time of fellowship, of prayer. It's a great honor, privilege, and responsibility that God has entrusted to us as the men of the church to lift up these prayer requests that come in every week. And we'd love to have more of you guys to come out and join us on Tuesday nights. Invest a couple hours in the middle of the week to pray. To intercede. You know the scriptures actually pretty much command us to do that. But my point being this. Usually at the end of our prayer time. We will thank God. Not only for the prayers that have already been answered. But we thank him for the answers that are coming. To the prayers that we've just prayed. That's looking to the future. That's looking forward. To Abraham and his seed forever. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her own home, her house. So Mary stayed with Elizabeth throughout the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy because Elizabeth was already six months pregnant when Mary came to visit her. It's possible that Mary was even there for the birth of John, who would become known as John the Baptist. Not the founder of the Baptist church, but the one who baptized people for the remission of their sins. And returned to her home to, her, to face her fiancé, her family, and her friends. Now three months pregnant, John the Baptist was six months older than his cousin, Jesus. And even though Paul would not write these words for another 60 years or so, I'm sure they were in Mary's heart even now. Philippians 4.13 Mary needed to hang on to this truth for what lie ahead. And this is my life verse. I don't know if you guys have a life verse. and I, I don't even know where I got the idea of a life verse. It's just years ago God implanted this verse in my heart and mind and I began to identify with it as my life verse. I'm sure Mary had these thoughts in her heart and mind as well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The words of Paul, but they can be your words and my words as well. Let's stand. As we go to the Lord in prayer, if you have a prayer request, would you please raise your hand so we can pray for you this morning? Many, many, many across this room. That's good because God loves to hear from his people. He loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, Jesus said. And anytime we're engaging in prayer requests, that definitely involves the Holy Spirit. So, Father, right now in Jesus' name, I want to lift up to you each and every one of these folks who's raised their hand this morning. There's a whole bunch of them. And the awesome thing is you know each and every one of them inside and out. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's in our hearts, you know what's on our minds. And yet, at the same time, you encourage us to bring those requests to you. We know that there are times you even answer our thoughts, but we want to honor you. We talked about fearing you, respecting you, giving you the proper place in our lives. And so, Father, we honor you by bringing to you those prayer requests now. Father, first of all, for physical health and strength. Lord, whatever the illness is, Lord, whatever is represented here today by the hands that have gone up, whether it's the person raising their hand or someone that they're interceding for. Father, whether it would be for allergies or a sinus infection, flu, cold, COVID-19, Lord, whatever it might be, cancer, leukemia, lung disease, Lord, there's so many afflictions because these vehicles that we are traveling around in, these human bodies, they are cursed. We live in a world cursed by sin. Our bodies are part of that curse. They do get sick, they do deteriorate, and ultimately we will shed these bodies, these earthly vehicles, for a newer, better, eternal heavenly body. But in the meantime, we pray for healing. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, you are loving, you are gracious, you are merciful, you do hear the prayers of your people. And although we do not know your perfect will in every situation, we do humbly Lift up the requests for healing today, physical healing from physical afflictions. Lord, we also lift up the need for healing for emotional, mental issues. It can be just as devastating, if not more so. We pray for a sound mind for those who are struggling in that area, for deliverance, for relief from anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, bitterness, resentment, jealousy. Lord, all these horrible feelings and emotions that can... Damage us and debilitate us. We pray that you would forgive us For having those thoughts and feelings and we ask you to deliver us You said you came to set the captives free father. There are some here today that may be captive to these thoughts these feelings these emotions We pray for deliverance in the name of Jesus Thank you, Lord we pray for healing of relationships marriages friendships family members That have been damaged maybe because we did something maybe not lord help us to be peacemakers help us to be the first ones to step forward to attempt restoration and reconciliation help us to just humbly go the extra mile to make things right and we pray that whenever however possible there could be healing to marriages and other relationships that have been damaged or broken lord Give us the strength we need the hope the faith the endurance to hang in there to keep our eyes on you and trust you for the outcome and lord we pray also this is a time of year that can be a very fun exciting joyful time but it can also be discouraging for others who may be struggling financially we pray for your provision we honor you and praise you as our provider But lord we ask that you would help us to work together in concert to make sure that no one goes without this time of year especially For the basic needs of life but Lord even beyond that to just spread a little joy bring a little joy into the lives of those around us please provide for your people and give us wisdom on the proper management of the resources you've given us and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory and we thank you God for the wonderful story of how you chose a young girl in the hill country of Galilee in a little town called Nazareth to be the mother of your one and only son What a wonderful, marvelous story, and it's not a fairy tale, it's true, it's historical, it's accurate, and Father, we believe every word of it, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.